the people that are on the sort of like the that have been beneficiaries of the money printing who've got the billions of dollars to throw around they're going to be doing their takes on these things but you know and like they they're, they're going to be trying to build the they like I know from talking to some of their team they're like literally trying to own the personal AI experience you know in in conjunction with Microsoft who today just rolled out their like Microsoft Copilot thing but um they're going to be putting forward one vision of what it means to interact with AI and it's going to be very like you're you're in Microsoft sandbox and you're going to be like comfortable with them like buying off regulators and making it so that like you have to go through them and it's all going to be probably connected to their freaking world coin dystopia of one sort or another and i, I think it's up to us to put yeah. forward the alternative vision for that What is up guys? Welcome back to AI Unchained. I am Guy Swan and we are back in action. Sorry for the bit of a gap there. Um, two things happened. One is we had a few uh, scheduled calls that ended up getting conflicts. Uh, and then the other thing is my AI machine ran into a motherboard problem so I didn't get to finish something that was a precursor to a lot of the things I was trying to do. But we're back. We're back. The motherboard is the new motherboard is here, and hopefully, I can get it set up very, very soon. Uh, but we have got a really exciting conversation today. This is a project that I am only very recently um, uh, informed of, so to speak, and it's called GPUtopia. GPUtopia.ai. If you want to go check it out, it's beta right now. But is it is essentially a project to create a pool of GPU power for anybody. You've got some extra GPU lying around um, for people to offer up computational power to a marketplace and for users to go and spend sats and buy that GPU power. So I'm going to let Chris, we have Chris David on the show today, and uh, I'm going to let him take it away, talk about the vision, talk about what led him to this, and... Uh, uh, where he thinks the future of both AI and also Bitcoin is in this new space. So really quick, I just want to say uh, a huge thank you to our amazing sponsors. If you own Bitcoin and you do not have a solid hardware wallet, you are doing it wrong. Or God forbid you have it on an exchange, you don't actually own anything, you have an IOU from a centralized third party. Don't do that. Get 9% off the cold card with uh, code Bitcoin Audible, all one word, and keep your Bitcoin safe so that you can sleep like a baby at night. The show is also brought to you by Fold and the Fold app, the Fold debit card that lets you get sats back on literally everything that you do in fiat. I have stacked so much Bitcoin just from switching all of my banking over to Fold, and now they have boosts so that like certain merchants that you can get uh, extra like 2% back, 3% back even in sats. So you go spend $100 somewhere and you get 3 bucks in sats. You just you just get it. Seriously, this is one of the easiest ways to just shift from an old boring bank account and debit card to fold. It's one of the easiest ways I know to stack an enormous amount of sats with no friction and no extra buying. And they have so many great features coming, plus gift cards. I get 2.5% back on everything that I do on Amazon. It is a freaking life hack, I promise you. Check it out, uh, and you can actually get 100,000 sats for free just for trying it with the free version, by the way. Like, you could literally just sign up, get the free debit card, test it out for 20 bucks, 
and then they'll give you 100,000 sats. Use my link, bitcoinaudible.com slash fold. With that, let's get into today's chat with Chris David from GPU Topia. You're not going to want to miss this one. Christopher, welcome. Welcome to the show. Uh, I am really excited to dig, at, dig down into this. Like I just said, I'm, I'm very, very new into this project, but I'm really excited about the concept. And this is something that I've been following and kind of looking for. And I think it's, I find it almost comical that every time I find some sort of a project that is in the mindset that I'm looking for and one that I'm really excited about, inevitably, I find out there's a Bitcoiner there. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I want, uh, how about you introduce yourself for the uh, the listeners here and tell me about GPUtopia, um, the project. Actually, you know what? Let's pause on that. I want to know where you came from. What led you to this first? And then we'll dig into GPUtopia. Cool. Yeah, I'll give kind of the high level background. Um, I'm a self-taught programmer. I got into Bitcoin 2011, a little bit, you know, don't go looking for my stack. It's long gone, bought at $30, sold at 200, thought I was cool. I made 5X and like, oh crap, <laughs> kicking <laughs> myself every day since. Um, but, you know, I was attracted to Bitcoin for the kind of sound money, you know, Austrian economics background um, that I learned through the doing work with the Ron Paul campaign uh, years back and um, got into Bitcoin uh, initially trying to like, connect it to the political process in 2014, uh, kind of quickly got tired of that, drove for Uber in 2015, um, kind of chafed at some of Uber's policies. That was around when the Ethereum project launched and the founders of Ethereum repeatedly said that their new protocol would be the world computer. And one of the things it would be great for doing is decentralizing Uber. And I was like, holy crap, like I wanna do that. And so, created a decentralized ride sharing project that was like quite successful on everything other than actually integrating with the blockchain because Ethereum was never actually good at that. They quickly kind of pivoted towards ICOs yeah. and scams and being comfortable with $50 transaction fees because, you know, the people at the top are making a bunch of money. Uh, so but my interest has always been on kind of like, how do we build decentralized applications that are usable by mainstream consumers to address pain points that they face. Uh, the pain points that I faced as an Uber driver was 20% of my customers liked my service so much, they asked how they could request me again. And I had to tell them, you can't. It's against Uber and Lyft's terms of service for me as a driver to exchange contact information, build up my own recurring customer base, which to me at the time put the lie to the whole be your own boss thing. Like if I'm truly my own boss- yeah, that's absurd. Yeah, I should be able to build up my own recurring customer base. Uh, so kind of ran with that idea um, when Uber and Lyft pulled out of Austin for a year in May of 2016. We, My little fledgling company was the first of 10 on the ground there, built up a network there and, and it worked really well. And so, you know, a few years after I had that experience driving, I had drivers in our Austin network show me their Google calendar where they had the next two weeks booked of pre-scheduled rides with their regulars who pay them better anyways. So that network, just by decentralizing that, you know, rider and driver choice to the level of the driver, empowering people to build up their own recurring customer base, we were offering a level of job security and stability to those drivers that no centralized company could match at all. The trouble that we had was trying to expand that sort of like high touch 
local network organized with word of mouth and basically glorified Facebook groups trying to connect Ethereum to it and have a token. And like, that would be how we scale. And that was just, you know, a, a big, big batch of problems. Um, I kind of have been keeping my eye on the Lightning Network and I went to Bitcoin 2021 in Miami and that was kind of a one-two punch for me to start falling back down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Um, and it was a couple of things. One was seeing that what Bitcoin Beach had done, building up these really, truly circular Bitcoin economies where people were actually using Bitcoin in the wild and seeing that get kind of like brought to the level of the country. I thought that was very heartening that Lightning was being used in production. Uh, as well as this one awesome talk that's on YouTube, I recommend any other people like me who kind of um, got distracted by crypto stuff to check out this talk from Ryan Gentry and Drew Bonsall called the Bitcoin stack, where they the, the first words out of Ryan's mouth in that talk were, I'm tired of people saying they need like an altcoin to use for some use cases, because like a lot of that stuff is going to be built gradually over time in layers above Bitcoin in a more mm -hmm. deliberate way. But this all of this X, Y, and Z with decentralizing trust, in addition to payments, reputation, all this stuff can be done on Bitcoin. And so I, I started kind of getting more familiar at that time with what, his, what was going on with Lightning. I was attracted to see that, you know, Sphinx Chat was one example of a project doing sort of like non-payments related use cases, chat, but with payments infused throughout it. Um, yeah. yeah. And what I, what I started to realize and kind of like digging into the scalability of like that particular model was that, uh, you know, there's a, a a blog post, I think, that came out around that time from uh, Roy Scheinfeld, something like lightning, a fork in the road. And it, it kind of took aim at people who were trying to sort of like rebuild the Internet using lightning as the payment as the, as the transport mechanism for all this this data that was not payments related. Yeah. And he said that yeah. basically that needs to be offloaded somewhere else or else we risk skewing the incentives that make lightning so great in the first place, which is as a payments mechanism. Now, when I read that, I was like, darn it, because I'm one of these, I don't know, lightning maximalists. I, I wanted to do all of the cool things that we could do on lightning or in this decentralized mm -hmm. way. But that was about when I discovered Noster. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, wait a second. This is what those non-payments related things should be offloaded to. It is a decentralized data protocol, not on Bitcoin, but certainly adjacent to Bitcoin. The guys behind it, Fiat Joff and stuff, were some of the same guys behind LNURL, so advancing a lot of the kind of like lightning UX improvements to make it more familiar and friendly to users. Um, and that kind of adjacency was built on, for example, by William Kazarin of Damas, who wrote the Zap spec. And so now people are using Nostra to like zap lightning back and forth. Um, you just got a whole bunch of like really cool use cases um, being done with Nostra. Yeah, I want to um, interject well, right there, yeah. actually, um, because I, I love that article, too. Um, and I was kind of in that same place was that, like, how do we it, it seemed intuitive, you know, kind of at first glance or whatever, that you would you could use this to transport and do all sorts, especially in the context of messages, because that's all an invoice was right is a message across the lightning network. Um, but I read that on the show and that was that was basically the same the same moment that I had with kind of like Sphinx and that model is that using the actual lightning as the transport layer, like data layers work, you know, um, it's the payment layers that are the problem that we need to actually solve. But anyway, I, I wanted to give a nod to that article because I, I really, Roy has his, has his finger on the button with a lot of those things. Yeah, definitely. So that was one thing I was, my, one of my early questions was, is Noster appropriate for chat? 
And mm-hmm. I, just through conversations in the Noster Telegram group, like, you know, maybe two years ago now, which is kind of like interrogating, like, can this be used for chat? And the, the consensus with the caveat of like emphasis on public chat, like basically, yeah, this can be and kind of worked out what the contours of that should look like. And I ended up being lead author on NIP 28, which is the Noster specification for public chat uh, that got merged. And oh, there's now a number of chat clients that use NIP 28. Um, the biggest ones were made not by me. Um, and there's been, you know, if you fast forward to today, there's been, you know, a fair amount of uh, conversation about what the sort of like private and encrypted version of that would look like. There have been a few approaches to that. NIP 38, NIP 48 have been different approaches. Um, my co-founder and CTO for my current effort ended up writing NIP 112, 28 times four, kind of uh, a <laughs> nod to both of those NIPs. But for encrypted group chat, later renamed encrypted group events with like a particular combination of like using NIP 44, which improves on NIP 4 with NIP 59, GIF wrap with some of the same syntax as NIP 28. And we did like a, you know, reference implementation of that um, with the arcade app maybe six months ago, back when we were kind of trying to build a Nostra based um, kind of telegram app. So anyway, just been like really focusing on that, that chat use case and, and have sort of more or less proven that like the Nostra network can be used for chat, both public and they're starting to now be more and more people um, kind of exploring how to do that with private encryption. But yeah, if you're talking about like a data layer, that's all just like particular social conventions built on top of like public key cryptography. It's like whatever the consensus that emerges in, we can send signed JSON blobs to each other as long as we have multiple clients speaking that same language. Um, Part of why I love Nostra is it just enables developers to do a whole bunch of experimentation without risking all of the like security guarantees of the Bitcoin chain. Yeah, yeah. Um, So my, my, my theory in you know, Noster, and, and for those who don't know, or, or for those who relate to Noster as sort of this, like, uh, what my friend Justin refers to as Fugazi Twitter, like, like, it's, <laughs> it's not just for like, building a sort of Twitter clone, like it's, mm-hmm. it's an agnostic, you know, decentralized data protocol that can be used for all sorts of things. And, and the idea that that I've been, you know, enchanted with, um, particularly starting earlier this year is, if we now have sort of adjacent to Bitcoin, this layer for decentralized data, then not only do we have applications now able to speak the same language of money, which we have from Bitcoin, you know, quick payments, which we have from Lightning. We also now have this this shared language of like what a social graph looks like, where we all have our, you know, Nostra public keys and we can all kind of interact with each other and pull in data and posts from multiple different places like a shared conversation graph now a shared chat graph and it's like okay what else is 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 missing here and and the big thing that i've i've been fascinated by is decentralized order books like one of the last missing primitives to enable truly decentralized yes. marketplaces which yes is the yeah. use case that i've been you know tr- struggling with for for years like how do we do truly decentralized marketplaces and doing it on Noster, kind of this one shared network that enables shared liquidity. I mean, that's a that's a huge, huge benefit. Uh, and there have been other projects like I know, you know, Solana got really big at one point because they were talking about building this order book and things. But just I've just seen like all of these other chains have gotten bogged down in their bad economics and everything else. Yeah, it Forgive seems the fire it, alarm out there. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, no worries. Um, if we need to pause, we can pause. But um, it seems like they've failed to make the connection that having your own liquidity token, like rather than plugging directly into like a base money, is like a massive economic friction like an extraordinary one. And what ends up happening is that the token, the, Ill the illiquid token just ends up being so volatile in price that 90%, 95% of the activity on the entire system is just people trading the token, which means that inevitably their incentives change to just make it so that it's a good token to trade. And basically the underlying fundamentals just kind of get pushed to the background because they don't make any money. The it's only it's only the gambling on token issuance that gets that makes any money. But anyway, um, uh, so yeah, I agree, and I mean I, yeah. I can speak as someone who you know five six years ago like I issued a token, and mm -hmm. I can just speak to like, like having the benefit of you know five six years to look back on it. Like it really skewed my incentives day to day. It was not how can I build a better product to answer this user's pain point? It's yeah. how can I like pump the value of my token? It, mm -hmm. you know, it, it lead, leads to all sorts of bad decisions. Um, but to, to fast forward back to the present day and kind of, kind of bring, bring things to the present, I've been kind of, you know, I've been of the opinion that the combination of lightning with Noster is going to enable like the it's going to be like sort of this this substrate for the next wave of decentralized marketplaces and decentralized applications uh, particularly also the, the the last other primitive uh needed there is decentralized reputation which because these are all just data blobs nostra works really well for that too i wrote a very early version of a reputation spec called nip32 um basically a year ago um largely a glorified placeholder, but I, I modeled it intentionally off of the sort of web five verifiable credentials idea, just the enable the, just to have sort of like um, the ability for user defined schemas, like super abstract so that different people can interpret it in different ways. And then just in the last few months, someone came back and like, like really fleshed that out. And that that's been adopted now. So we now have with Noster like an actual reputation spec, um, oh, nice. Or these like tags, but it, this, the same idea for reputation can work. And so what, what I'm excited now is to kind of like pull a bunch of those ideas about the shared, um, you know, account system and the shared, um, uh, you know, reputation graph and the shared liquidity into addressing like this, this massive asymmetry, the most in-demand supply constrained resource apparently in the world right now which is gpu capacity mm -hmm. um so I've, I've been kind of like casting around for like what is i've got these ideas about like nostra and lightning marketplaces um i feel like i'm good at building up some of these like marketplaces creatively but my, my idea six months ago was like do kind of like this bitcoin lightning nostr wechat style social commerce app that's like an open source nice version of what and i was like you know what just just falling down the rabbit hole of what's possible with AI recently and all the intersections between lightning and AI. It's like th th this is the power struggle of the 21st century is going to be who controls AI. It's like AI and the yeah. money printers. And I just think these two issues are so related. Um, and so I think the issues to sort of like decentralize money through Bitcoin and decentralize AI through, you know, some decentralized open source compute network are like really, really, really related um, and so I've been excited in the last month or so to really flesh out I was like, oh, the, 
I, I think all these ideas about building lightning-powered Nostr-based marketplaces uh, and applying that to GPU computation, that makes a, a ton of sense. So the, 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 the summation of what we're now doing with GPUtopia is building up a two-sided marketplace. We want it to be the easiest place for people to buy, sell, and also use GPU compute. Uh, the beta that we launched over the last week has been to basically test the idea, like, are people willing to basically sell their excess GPU compute in exchange for Bitcoin? And we got like way more users than we could handle. And it, you know, the answer to that was yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and so in the, in the next week, we're going to be rolling out the buy side of that marketplace, which is, okay, the types of models that we can run, basically like simple language models, like Vacunas or some maybe Llama, depending on the power of someone's compute, um, can we put that into an interface where someone on the buy side who doesn't want to learn about like setting up a model or doing any of that stuff, give them a web interface, give them an API endpoint. Are they willing to just pay for that types of, of, of compute based on the level of like inbound conversations and like interest people have expressed to us? Uh, we think there's plenty of demand for that. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how exactly that, that shakes out, but hopefully we're building up a nice, healthy two-sided marketplace uh, where people are able to sell their compute on the one side, people are able to buy directly from them and kind of cut out all the big centralized middlemen. So is this, is the kind of fundamental pieces of this built with Noster? Like how, how is the kind of underlying architecture of this and sorting out the coordination between parties? Yeah. And so for speed of kind of development and getting stuff out the door, we're not doing Noster stuff at okay. this exact second. Um, we specifically chose to have our user account system use Albi, uh, which we love because it lets anyone, yeah. anyone at all sign up, create an account with just an email and a password. It's got like a really nice kind of payment flow, um, as well as Nostra integration. So when we're ready to do like, start adding like our social graph, you know, post troll box with Nostra, um, we just need to like flip one switch and basically now all those accounts are using are, are now Nostra accounts. Cause I, yeah. I don't want to have to be like, yeah. go, you know, memorize your NSAC and you know, th there will be other people yeah. that specialize in getting people like really set up with self custody things. And hopefully this can at least be, um, I don't know, something, some kind of a good on-ramp for people to be like, Oh, I, I get now what lightning is and what the importance is. I get now the importance of Nostra. Um, so for the, the marketplace stuff, uh, for for example, um, we probably will, and I th I think by Nostrasia in six weeks we'll be ready to kind of really show sort of like the 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 Nostrized version of this whole marketplace. Sweet, um, but there is Sweet. a Nostr specification that I played with a little bit called NIP ninety from Pablo around this whole idea of like a Nostr data vending machine, mm -hmm. and that spec seems to match up really well with the types of things that we're doing. Um, so. Um, in the beginning, we're just kind of like solving things with the most direct path that we can, just kind of managing the jobs and such ourselves. But uh, that's just basically for us to get some economics that are working out. So we've got like some level of hopefully like profitability, like we're matching buyers and sellers. We're taking a little cut of that. Um, and then stage two after that is going to be how do we like truly open this up into a market that has just like people all over the place incentivized to contribute Um you know, ways to connect to the network, either on the buy side or the sell side or on the use side. Gotcha. Yeah. So how do you deal with, so you're talking about using, particularly in like the LLM space, like Vicuna or potentially Llama. Um, 
how do you deal with like will, will this essentially be one to one market matching or is there a means to and or a long term plan to figure out a means to essentially distribute the jobs such that like I have a 3090 and I want to participate in this but let's say we want to re uh want to run like Falcon 70B like I can't run that on a single 3090 but maybe five of us could together is there is there a a clear means by which you can pool those and then split the payments over lightning so that you can run larger models than any of the individuals can run together We've looked into this um, a fair amount, and generally when you're talking about splitting larger models over multiple different cards, mm -hmm. they need to be connected with each other. It's just because there's so much um, kind of inter-job communication that has to happen that when those are split geographically, it becomes, at least everyone says it's infeasible. Now... I don't know that it necessarily fully is infeasible for for for, the, for this reason. If you are expecting things to be like state of the art and take the minimum amount of time, let's say a job will take eight hours if you run it with AWS. Some people coming at it from the corporate lane, you know, angle might think that like, oh, if that same job could be done across devices and take forty hours, that would be like no one would want to do that. But I think actually people would want to wait extra time if they knew that it could be not using open AI, if it could be distributed, you know, encrypted in the right ways. More um, private, so, yeah. So what the actual numbers are, we just don't know yet. Um, we're going to be experimenting with that a lot. Um, the thing that we're putting out next, in fact, we've already open sourced um, this um, in the Arcade Labs Inc. repo. We have a project called Worker Bee. And that is the server daemon, the like CLI tool that people are going to be able to run on their devices if they want to, you know, with the caveat that all of this is still super beta um, and it might melt your machine down. We don't know. Buyer beware. But so so what we're using right now, we use for beta is um, a system called WebGPU, which is a specification that the like W3C has been working on for the last five years or so to like more efficiently use GPU resources in browser. Because to this point, when people have done like computation, they've like adapted the like GPU libraries that have been optimized for graphics. And they've like shimmed a whole bunch of things in these compute shaders, like really hacky things. Yeah. And they've been able to get like decent ML results from some of that. But people are like, hey, wait a second, we should actually like re-architect this to be like actually supporting ML. Uh, so that's been under um, development for five years. Just about, I think in June, Chrome added it to all of the new Chrome versions, um, like default web GPU support. I think there's other browsers, uh, Mozilla and Safari are both working on adding it. But I think I think basically we've told people if you want to use this system, like use Chrome. Um, but that's great, but it only uses one GPU. I think you can like hack around that limitation somehow. Um, but basically it only uses part of your system's resources. It's not as configurable as if you were, say, for example, to run a CLI pa software package using, you know, Python that was able to better, you know, see your, your server GPU resources and maybe it scales up and scales down based on the other things that you're doing. So we have a very early version of that server daemon uh, that's in our, our GitHub repo and we can link that, call that, call that worker B. Um, but 
Whereas right now we're just running this very basic Vicuna model in everyone's browsers. Worker B is, or in the next week or so, is going to be able to run and download any model from Hugging Face, and it just you oh, know wow. uses the you you just went in the in the request you specify what Hugging Face model you want, it downloads it, it like runs it through a conversion, it's got to convert it to like GGML. I don't have all the technical details. You can read yeah, the, yeah. read me, or we'll we'll get our CTO to put a fact together about <laughs> this. But it, it basically makes it such that the model can run on your um, device and process it. Now, what types of devices will be able to run what types of models? Don't know yet. Um, but we do know that, you know, we've seen that people are willing to like either go find GPUs that they have lying around and plug them in. Some people are willing to like have said that they want to order new hardware specifically to plug it into this network. Um, and then you've got, like, and one thing that right. like, we're going to try... Like we 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 rented a um we went to just some cloud provider you know it's super hard to find um the top and the high end GPUs but we went to Lambda when they had they had a, an A100 available and an A10 available and we rented those so we have those on standby and the the hope is that if we run our software on those instances like like you you mentioned the smaller the smaller devices can't run the 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 large falcon models or, or whatever but you know we, we've been able to run llama and 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 some of the 70bs on those instances and they run like like instantly wow um will we be able to have enough jobs come in to be able to turn a profit just on like stuff that we're renting like in the early days of mining people were like yeah yeah, yeah. there's a time when you could go rent AWS instances and make make a money off that. So I think there will be all sorts of like hilarious arbitrage opportunities like that. Um, over time, hopefully, hopefully in the next I don't know six to twelve months, we're able to like develop some really unique, um, you know, software uh, developments that are able to do more with less resources. And it's not like we're going to have to do it all ourselves. There's like a a, a project great open source project for example called tiny grad that uh from um uh what's his name the the car guy um uh, fuck what's his name george hots yeah tiny grad um, oh yeah, so yeah 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 they're, yeah they're squeezing yeah. all sorts of performance out of out of things and like running models but, but i what i've what i'm seeing as a trend in sort of like the open source ai community is that more and more models are being like increasingly effective while having smaller and smaller parameter sizes, mm -hmm. even if they need to be more specialized. Mm -hmm. And particularly as devices like Apple M1, M2, like the consumer hardware is only going to be getting more and more powerful. Um, I'm just really excited that this idea of edge AI and running more and more things on the edge is going to be increasingly viable, particularly when we're not just thinking about what one single individual is going to be able to do with one device. Yeah. But if we have a thousand people in a mesh network where I've got Llama loaded and you've got Falcon and you've got Vicuna and now someone who's like, you know, run me this inference thing to then be able to skip past the whole part where, oh, I have to go like download the binary and load this model and wait 15 seconds. Like yeah. someone is already doing that over there and they'll charge you that. And for 15 sats, they'll run you this thing. Um, that's, that's potentially pretty cool. This episode is brought to you by the Fold Card. You know, I didn't think that anything could make me hate the fiat system a little bit less. 
well, this helps. This goes a long way because I get sats back. I earn sats on everything that I do. This is my main card. And I get sats back on literally everything that I do, on my groceries, on my bills. It's practically anything that I spend money on. I'm just always bringing in just tiny amounts of sats. And it's even more on the app because you can use gift cards for major merchants. Like I get 2.5% back on everything that I do on Amazon. So I spend $100 on Amazon. I get $2.50 in sats for nothing. I, I just... I just I constantly am just getting sats. And then you get spins on the fold wheel, which just get you a whole bunch of free sats too. And you get one of those every single day. And you can win like 100,000 sats just on the spin wheel, just for free, just for fun. And I know, I know you can win that because I have literally gotten 100,000 sats on the wheel. The fold app combined with the debit card is honestly the most potent way I know of. I have found so far to be regularly and constantly stacking sats in a totally passive way that seriously adds up over time. And you can get, you can actually get 100,000 sats right now just by using my link to go sign up for free and use the free, get the free debit card and just try it out. And they'll give you 100,000 sats for free. You use my link at bitcoinaudible.com slash fold. I'm going to repeat that and listen closely. Bitcoinaudible.com slash fold. I know that's my other podcast, but you should definitely check it out if you want to get some sats and you want to stack some Bitcoin in an incredibly easy, uh, consistent way. It is the ultimate sats stacking cheat code. Get on fold. And one of the biggest, uh, like, kind of downstream things that I think is going to be huge. And I actually just saw a, a thing drop today actually called Hey Data. Um, it's just D-A-T-A is the acronym, but it's heydata.org. Um, uh, and it's actually, I'm pretty sure it's mostly just plugging into ChatGPT, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I haven't really kind of dug into it. But it's essentially a, um, a multi multimodal sort of setup where you can do an entire range of tasks and things that you can ask directly while you're working on it. And one of the one of the really cool things, especially like you were just talking about, is that maybe having smaller models isn't such a disadvantage if you have a selection of specialized smaller models to select from. So that so one of the interesting things immediately in my mind is that like how could you have a more generalized LLM decide who would be, which model would be the best one to complete the task um, while you're interfacing with this. And then the other, the other big thing, um, so maybe, maybe that's, that's really the question is, is what are your thoughts and or kind of strategies about thinking about multimodal stuff? I mean, I obviously at the beginning, you would just be like, oh, well, you can use stable diffusion or you can use Vicuna or you can use blah, blah, blah. Um, but how would you, uh, uh, and maybe this is really just an interface problem, um, but tackle the idea of having someone interact with an LLM and getting getting it to sort out rather than have someone someone having to know that stable diffusion is what they're looking for. How do you yeah. get it to inform them or use it automatically? I think I think there's um, a largely unexplored realm of like composability of yeah. different yeah. models. And you're That's starting to, to see people already recognizing that even if they want 
to just squeeze more performance out of like one particular model pipeline that if you put like one model, a smaller model in front of a larger one that it can kind of like better either aim it somewhere else or like structure the query that it goes there. Like there's mm -hmm. people starting to like compose things together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, you, you talk with some of these, these AI companies that are running like, like models in production. They're not just like, hitting one gpt4 endpoint or some of them are but like the ones that are more sophisticated they're like no we've like trained five different models like you know mixture of experts is is, is one idea like this one checks to see if the model the the um the input is spelled correctly or if there's profanity or any of the five diff different things and it kind of like goes through in a chain well right now you've got like that that type of workflow which is what is needed and what may be needed for the foreseeable future to get the best possible results. You really need really specialized training and resources and time to fine tune. And, and really it's only the larger companies that have that kind of know-how, but what do we, what if we could decentralize even that? And what if it could be as simple as, you know, here's the job that I want to do. And whether it's some, some sort of like AI that guides you, or maybe even like, other service providers specialize in your particular use case, they've recognized that like, hey, in order to do that, you need a Falcon model for this, a this model for this, this model for this. And like, here's the relationships that I've built with all these GPU providers. So if you hit my one endpoint here, the sats just go like 20% to me, 10% to that person, 5% to that person. Um, and to have those types of relationships be able to just like very easily form and flow. I don't know. It's all kind of speculative at this point, but my, sure. my, my general thesis is that when you connect a whole bunch of GPU providers and soon a whole bunch of GPU consumers into one kind of like free flowing marketplace connected by SATs and soon Noster, I, I think there's going to be all sorts of like innovation and new kinds of things emerge from that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, I'm, I'm super stoked of just like, like making that sort of resource available, like what people could build with it is is really insane to think about because it's just a means of building compute relationships with each other. And it makes sense that the GPU network would also have those pre-built relationships. Like, uh, and, and maybe this is, this is a good question for you actually, is one of my big problems in which everything kind of got put on hold. That's why this the show apologized to all the listeners. I haven't had an episode of the show in like four weeks. Um, but uh, the reason is is because my uh, my motherboard had a big problem on my AI machine, and it kind of halted a lot of the things that I was working on. Um, and uh, but the new one is in, and hopefully I'll get it done today. Um, but I've been hunting for a good model or a good means to plug in files into an LLM interface in the sense that I can use a chat to ask questions about a file or a set of files. And, and I'm super vague and maybe you don't really, this isn't really your specialty, but I'm just curious about the vector databases and how to kind of build that from subsets of like data that I have on my computer. Can you kind of give me some of that, like at least your general idea of how you see the integration with this and all the crap on my computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so um, I would put that in the terms of for any of our like GPUtopia sellers that are listening. Like you've just described a use case as a buyer, 
of mm-hmm. something that you want. You've fr- you've been frustrated with the lack of there being like an easy way for you to do that. You're you're willing to pay something for it, probably one hundred percent. And you know, if you're talking about like things that an LLM is just going to need to interface with to be effective, retrieval is like one thing that just has to be done. So you know, vector debate databases for people who don't know, it's just a way of representing basically any arbitrary data as these vectors, just like arrays of numbers in a way that an algorithm can can search over them very easily and find like, um, you know, the algorithmic search when you do a search, like they're just doing like vector similarity searches. Um, So it's basically just a way to sort through a bunch of text data using numbers, like just converting it into a batch of numbers. Imagine that like the use case you've described and probably any use case like in that uh, vein can probably be represented as like user wants to like drag and drop files or or even just specify in you know file path or whatever that like input that makes sense for you is um probably that needs to be like vectorized and uh and then the llm needs to do x y and z and three different llms need to be like that's a workflow that can be um uh represented in in code that one or more people uh might be able to compete to do for you um, mm-hmm. so, and then imagine that we actually may just not know currently what the best way is. If someone builds a pipeline and you try it and you do one call or two calls and it sucks, maybe you downvote that, you know, provider, whoever like kind of helped you cobble that together. And like, maybe that feedback is interpreted by someone else who like iterates that because they click clone on that workflow and they build their own until you get to the point where you're like, oh my God, this one's getting me the results that I want. And people can see, hey, there's some sats flow going from guy to this pipeline, everyone along the path. Maybe if you contributed an algorithm or you built the retrieval thing, or you're doing some hosting or things that you're providing into that, you're getting paid some proportional amount of sats. Um, I think that the market basically will help figure out what the most optimal thing for you specifically is. Um, and I'm Sweet. guessing there will be other people who similarly want that. So if they can, if people can, if people listening here can help guys needs get met, like there's probably a fuck ton of people who want to do that same thing. And, and, you know, you should be able to be paid. This is our big thing. You should be able to be paid fractionally proportional to the value that you create. And it's just going to be measured in sats. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. So, and that makes a whole lot of sense too, because, you know, there'd be an enormous responsibility and onus on you guys to try to figure out, you know, AI workflows and stuff, but you've got a marketplace, like make an interface to let the providers, like the people with the GPUs sort out those flows and then get paid for coming up with the best option. And you immediately got- Providers, but also developers, you know, there'll be developers Mm -hmm. who are not providers who will be like, oh, I can like earn money by helping to solve one particular problem. And I I just think that there's, there's so, so, so many of the AI companies that are out there you know, they're, they're kind of like lambasted as, as just like rappers, but they, they may not even be rappers on just one API, but they're still just taking these tools and like trying to specialize and niche into like one particular use case. Yeah. And there's just really no moat. And my argument is if we build up a network that can solve this in a more kind of generalizable way, but that's going to en- enable like a whole bunch of participants 
to be able to niche down even further into specialized use cases than even a lot of the larger companies are, I, I, I think it's a massive opportunity. Yeah, there's um in my uh, the 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 thesis, the <laughs> my argument or whatever that I made at Bitblock Boom about Bitcoin and AI. One of the things that really got me, and I think this is like perfectly in line with what you were just talking about, is the idea that all of these companies are essentially trying to build like this one exact flow of stuff and then specialize and brand and have their own website and all, all this stuff. And they're just trying to like do this one thing is that I think the, and just like such a perfect example is anybody who follows the AI space, it moves and iterates so fucking fast. Like the, the, the speed with which I should, I'm using like a completely different flow from like last week. I think trying to make something like that static and then create it as like, it's an individual sort of like branded service outside of something that could iterate that fast. Like it makes way more sense for these to be granular things in an open marketplace, because I think you're going to have to change what your service is so quickly that you don't even have time to really build up. Like I, I, what I referred to it as is disruption as the norm is that before one set of processes or workflows can even basically get a handle like can quote unquote dominate the market we'll have so many new ones iterating that there there won't be there won't be hardly will be a dominant anything in some sense of the concept there will just be such a spider web the idea is how do you create the incentives in the market in such a way that everyone can participate in this endlessly like endless process of iteration because it's going to iterate by the hour to the point that just like you said, I might find a new provider within minutes to, to do the job who just figured out like, Oh, I can do it a little bit better than this other guy did. Um, so that's fascinating. Yeah. We're, we're kind of borrowing the like beehive analogy. Like we're calling our, <laughs> we're calling our, <laughs> our server script worker bee and our like a job assigning script, the queen bee, but you can imagine that, like, even though we're going to be running the first queen bee and like distributing the first worker bees, you can like this is all going to be open source. At least the workers to start will we'll probably wait a bit. Oh, that's awesome. Queen, but that's but awesome. you know, you just imagine yeah. there's going to be like a bunch of other people that are going to take the same idea, but they're like, oh, we want to focus on like a particular regional market or a potential use case. Like, there's there's so so much opportunity here. But my what I the, the, what I'm most excited about is if we can get. Like the AI market generally, and, and just starting with just GPU computation, if we can get that denominated in Bitcoin, if we can have Bitcoin, which is already best positioned to be sort of like money for the internet, if it's also money for AI, for all the reasons that you said, this needs to be a freaking bearer instrument because you're lighting someone's graphics card on fire. It needs to be final settlement. Like we've already got the lightning network. It just needs to like scale, um, you know, to have that level of AI activity, just have it be, have people accustomed to being paid for their work, whether it's computational work, whether it's labor development, creation, promotion, you know, onboarding new customers. There's all sorts of different like layers of a decentralized AI network that should be paying everybody in Bitcoin. Um, they're not going to be talking about altcoins. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's interesting to think about, too, is that like what you end up having, I think Noster is such a great example of kind of a first use case here is that the the idea of simple instant tipping has been 
completely taken over in that context by lightning because of just how easy it is. And the number of people that come to Noster looking for the social and the kind of like open protocol aspect of it, and then inter are introduced to quote unquote zaps, right? To, to Bitcoin and sats for the first time is actually really, really interesting. And then in that same sort of vein is, is it, it seems to be trending in that direction. This is such a brilliant project towards exactly this goal is pricing AI pricing computation in sats when you kind of have like an underlying like super foundational like pricing energy in sats is that you have one of those very very base layer underlying things that's priced in sats you end up building an, an entire market on top of it where you can price other things in sats like well as soon as you're starting to price computation in sats well now you can start to price hosting or uptime in sats and and data uh data storage and bandwidth in sats you just start to build out from there it's like the petrodollar system was oh we're going to force everybody to price oil in sats well then now all of these markets on top of oil make sense to price in dollars um uh so that's kind of the foundation of the petrodollar system right is is find something at the base that they can control and then everything else builds on top of it well in this sense sats are just the best market option they're practically the only sustainable option uh, for a global network like this. And if it's iterating fast enough and growing fast enough, I don't know. Like it, it, the, it's just such an expansive concept when you really think about it. Um, and I love that also that you are kind of committing to, you know, open source. And this is just like, you see the, the, the no moats on this is like, how do you bring a community together to provide as much value as possible? Because this could just grow really, really fast. If, I mean, just like you said, the number of people who wanted to put, I mean, I'm just, I'm upset that I'm not involved in it yet because my machine's still <laughs> in pieces. Um, yeah, I think zaps have been a great kind of um, initial eye-opening, like value can flow easily from one person to the next. Um, the idea that I'm excited to like lean more into is this idea of lightning prisms. Um, yes. Gigi has yes. an article about that. Uh, a Nostra developer, Mr. Cux, I guess, came up with it. But Gigi's got a great article explaining it. But it's just that kind of the idea of like lightning-based, um, you know, split payments, which can be like rev share for any any different sorts of things. Um, yeah. The 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 one line description of it is a lightning prism is a construct that allows for lightning address value split workflows. So mm -hmm. a prism is identified by a lightning address or similar. A prism has one or more one or multiple recipients. Another prism can be one of the recipients. Splits are defined programmatically. So if you're talking about like a, a workflow that that guy is going to use to get the result that he wants. And if like 15 different people contributed the little building blocks to be able to have each of those people earn you know, lightning programmatically prisms is just kind of like a, a convention people are using to describe. And, and they're, they're, I, I haven't seen anyone like really in a powerful decentralized non-custodial way, introduce this, this prism idea at least software yeah. around it. So that's one thing we're going to be looking at. But yeah. if you apply that idea to things like, so one of the main kind of, I don't know, sort of competitors of what we're talking about uh, is hugging phase, which I love hugging phase. They've been more or less great allies of, of open source AI, but right now, the types, the people that are uploading models to Hugging Face, they're not getting paid, the majority of them. There's a couple of them mm -hmm. that kind of like make you buy a license key for $50. Um, but 
what if we could say to the researchers who are coming up with these new models, like, sure, put it on Hugging Face if you want to, but also go put it on GPU Topia and you're going to earn fractional rev share for like the sat that people are actually like using your model. Um, just that idea of being like, listen, you've been doing this amazing, productive work for free. Just like, let's give you some. How about Bitcoin. get paid? I can get paid a little bit. I can yeah. earn Bitcoin for 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 my research work for for letting you use my spare compute. No one's using all their GPU compute. Like hell, no. I'll sell it. Um, that that that's gonna pay for people's groceries and rent the compute that they have. I think because there's so yeah. there's so there's only gonna be even more demand for for GPU compute. But yeah, paying everyone in Bitcoin and, and look. Um, I'm happy to like really commit and lean hard into open source. Number one, I think it's going to build the biggest network quickest, but I, I, I feel quite fine at, you know, building an, a, a, a company and trying to accrue value to ourselves just because, you know, if, if I'm, if my, if I and my company were the people like leading the most number of people to be streamed Bitcoin to, yeah. <laughs> like, that, that that's how we win and just generally as a network like if we can get new people whether they're normies former crypto people i don't care like oh i can be streamed bitcoin for like doing cool productive things with my computer with my time um it's a good position to be in yeah yeah for sure um so one of the major challenges with this or at least in in my mind um especially on the consumer side is user interface is how do you translate to the user what's happening you, you know to to a, de to a degree like the people with the gpu power granted it's still that still matters too but they're probably more likely to be able to deal with a little bit of complexity installing something via command line you know like that sort of thing but the user won't won't do that you know to like to be big how are you thinking about the interface in this is are you trying to introduce this is just like i'm just like flat i got a chat window like kind of like chat gpt is how are you thinking about the what the marketplace is going to look like um is this like going to be on the website or on gp utopia like kind of give me the how, what will it look like as a user when yeah. i go to this thing that's probably the in, better question in the very short term our thought is don't reinvent the wheel, mm -hmm. follow to the extent that we can behind the companies that have been opening the market and spending billions of dollars on things like, you know, ChatGPT has run for however long, 11 months now, and the market of people who use OpenAI's products are really accustomed to that as an interface. So the website that we put up in the next week or so, it's going to start to feel a little bit like OpenAI. Here's the website explaining the kinds of things that you can do. Here's the like enterprise page if you want to like send us an email and get some private stuff and pay us a bunch of money for. But then here's the chat interface that anybody can use a basic version of. Here's how you hook up a Lightning wallet or, you know, create with Albi or do XYZ to get your account funded so that you can do more of the, the premium stuff. And then like, here is the open AI endpoint, like some of the software that we've got more or less done, will roll out in the next week or so, um, is enables basically like a, a drop-in replacement for open AI. Um, oh, wow. We've been okay. able to have some kind of, um, you know, uh, my CTO and I have been able to take like 
packages that we've built just in the last few months that have used the OpenAI endpoint and mm-hmm. literally just with the same syntax, doing nothing but just swapping out the OpenAI endpoint for ours, getting jobs processed through, I think we tested on like our A100. So we had like some llama model do it. And it like, it, it, it was a, it was a drop in replacement, you know, quality might be a little bit less in some cases, but um, I think that's only temporary until we get some of these other more, more complex sort of swarm workflows in place. So in the beginning, it's going to be, um, you know, just, just clone open AI and clone some of their business opportunities too. We've already had a couple of companies reaching out to us asking to pay us to help them get their own internal architecture off of open AI. I mean, there's a wow. whole slew wow. of organizations, every financial company, every healthcare company, they just can't send their data to open AI. It, it generally so that might be one thing we do is is do like i don't know some sort of private deployments for some but anyways the the more exciting thing is like you know we're going to start by um um having the interface feel a lot like open ai and then look at other things that we can borrow from other companies um hugging face has done a great job at building up um, a community of like researchers and and people around that but what if we take that idea and infuse bitcoin sats into it and have that kind of even more of like a social and collaborative layer where people are able to be like composing different experiences together. Um, on the consumer specific interface, you've got companies like Inflection that uh, they raise like a billion dollars. Inflection. And uh, they're the company behind Pi, um, you know, founded by Reid Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn. They're basically in the sort of like Microsoft orbit. Okay. Um, and like their CEO, Mustafa, is one of these guys who's going to DC begging governments to regulate them. Like, I Jesus guess he's Christ. on the other side of town from me right now at UN. Like, oh, we need to like govern AI, everybody. Like these these people lobbying the government. I, don't get me started on that. But, you know, they have a company called Pi um, and you can go to the Pi website. It's a gorgeous interface. Um, and the mobile app is absolutely gorgeous. They've obviously spent like probably millions of dollars on design and this really smooth experience. But like their web applications all just Next.js, like Tailwind, CSS, the same kind of frameworks that we use. So like we could just clone their <laughs> on their whole website <laughs> if we wanted to. Um, <laughs> just doing open source, like actually ethical <laughs> versions of these billion dollar fuckers, like. Anyway, so I, th- I think that's I think that's the race. You've got the, the you've got the people that are on the sort of like the that have been beneficiaries of the money printing. Who've got the billions of dollars to throw around. They're going to be doing their takes on these things, but you know, and like they're they're going to be trying to build the. They're, like I know from talking to some of their team, they're like literally trying to own the personal AI experience. You know, in in conjunction with Microsoft, who today just rolled out their like Microsoft Copilot thing, but um they're going to be putting forward one vision of what it means to interact with AI. And it's going to be very like you're, you're in Microsoft sandbox and you're going to be like comfortable with them, like buying off regulators and making it so that like you have to go through them and it's all going to be probably connected to their freaking world coin dystopia of one sort or another. And I I think it's up to us to put forward the alternative vision for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That talk about a great example of, the we have no moat thing that um like god that's so crazy that like the ability to offer these services this is another one of those things that i talked about in in the in the thing that it's just interesting like that i keep seeing examples of this 
is that one of the really crazy things about this is that the ability to offer up services to other people is kind of being it's being aggressively shrunk um that you can like there, like an llm is essentially a kind of built-in service right like like it's a broad generalized service provision so anybody can offer it with, again just with gpu power um and then the fact that the interface is really the one thing that people can iterate on is that if you just do an API, you can just use everybody else's interface. <laughs> you know, like, like it's just like the ability to swap that out. That's crazy. That's so awesome. I mean, didn't even really think about that, but it makes perfect sense that you would just tackle that first. Um, just let, especially with the number of companies that are trying to exit out of the, the open AI servers, um, which has increased in the last like month or two, um, pretty heavily. Um, like how do we run our own alternative and not have to just like kind of dump, all of our capital over to OpenAI's accounts. Um, uh, that's that's awesome. Um, so what's the what's the short term vision? You see, you know, you're in beta right now. Um, what should I be doing to try to play around with it? And <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for probably Monday. We'll have like the actual V3 um, out. We're gonna be doing probably a bit more of a, a more metered rollout with maybe a wait list or something like that because now this is going to be the first release where we have like actual buyers being able to like pay sats for sending out requests to the network the main interface initially is probably just going to be the this kind of like chat gpt style chat interface and you can like select which different model um but we're very quickly going to be expanding that um so so there's there's the the web gpu providers and then there's the server daemon. Uh, the server daemon is the main way to load like any different model from Hugging Face. So I don't know yet what extent we'll kind of prioritize one or two of those things, but we're trying to get it to the point where anyone running just in their browser that can serve up basic models, people with more powerful rigs that can run the server, more experience with the command line can run that to serve up more models, making that available to buyers, and just offering really cool, compelling experiences on the buy side. For example, I think there's going to be some things that are only going to be possible with this kind of swarm inference. Like if you're using a chat GPT interface, you're having one conversation. But like now that you can throw out a request to a hundred providers at the same time, like what if what could you do with a hundred inference results in five seconds? With, yeah. with completely different requests to each one. Yeah. Does anyone else offer that? I, I don't know. So I think there'll be some enough that's interesting on the buy side that we'll be able to like get a whole bunch of people in and experimenting. And we'll keep keep our ears open for like things like, you know, this type of customer wants this, this person wants to do this. And, and we want to also quickly get to the point where, you know, my three-person team isn't the bottleneck of this. We want to open it up such that some developer feels empowered to, to like go and create a plugin that then goes into you can you know drag and drop in the GPU Topia interface to so you know um, the the to to summarize we're trying to in the short term like build up now the buy side of the marketplace have buy side and sell side like interact profitably you know we'll take a little cut on transactions. Um, just to hopefully we can make some money off of this a little bit and then um, just have everyone like feeling good that they can get their needs met or get paid uh, and then just put the mechanisms in place that this this network can kind of grow organically over time. Yeah, um, I don't want to take it back too much to something we already talked about, um, but I know we're 
probably a little tight on time, but um, uh, going back to the idea of training with this network and composability is, do you see that as um, uh, kind of a midterm goal is, is taking the pool of GPU to basically have to, to split up a job like that? Is that, is that feasible? Or do you still think that's kind of a little, like right now, a, a one, one person to one customer sort of job? We are first focusing on inference. Um, sure. I, yeah, yeah. I think it'll be a long time before actual like l large scale training becomes viable. But I do think that um, developing infrastructure to do fine tunes yeah. is something that we'll do in, in the medium term because that's awesome. Um, that's awesome. We're the, the, the main model, like if you look at the GitHub repo right now of our, hmm. our, our worker B uh, it's, it's specifically like talking about working with llama models, which are the first model that we want to like get really good support for the llama.cpp has the best way of like splitting workloads across your GPU and CPU. There's just like a lot more thing. There's like a lot of efficiency that comes from that llama package as well as the llama models are just like some of the best pre-trained foundation models out there um and so if we if we do nothing but like in the short to medium term specialize on making it really easy for people to kind of like click a few buttons and get their own fine-tuned llama model that can then be slotted into one of these workflows like yeah. someone should be able to go to a website and just be able to kind of describe what they want or maybe like drag and drop some workflows and like you know do this, train this, fine tune this, you know, oh, this is a fine tuning job, estimated 12 hours and 38,000 sats, click here to pay and, and just be able to click and deploy a workflow like that. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's nice. All right. Um, well, uh, uh, how do you want to direct people? Like, what's your what's your call to action for listeners? Should they come throw sats and, and try it out this coming week? Yeah, I'd say, you know, check out our website. Um, we will, by the time this airs or shortly in the next few days, have like really good material, both for buyers and sellers on our website. Um, we Which is gputopia.ai, right? That's right. Okay. And um, we actively post updates on Twitter, X, and increasingly Noster soon. So Sweet, yeah. sweet. I just found you on Noster. I didn't, I didn't even think about the fact that you're on Noster, so I got you up there. Is gputopia up there, official account? Not on Noster yet, but we will be soon. Shoot me the pub key uh, if you have it in the next couple of days. I'll make sure it's in, in the video so people can find it. Cool. Guy, thanks so much. See you in GPOW. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, man. Hell yeah, man. Appreciate it. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um, this is going to be a project that I'll be following going forward. So uh, hopefully I'll have some updates and I'll maybe have examples of trying to utilize this or being a provider, like offering up my GPU on this as they kind of develop their interface and stuff. Um, but I have lots of links in the show notes for this one. I've got a, a link to find Christopher David on Twitter and then also Nostra. I've got his pub key, a link to gputopia.ai. Uh, and then also mentioned was George Hotz and tiny grad uh, link to that. And then he also mentioned lightning prisms, uh, which is a great piece by Gigi. And if you want to dig into that concept, uh, I've got an episode of Bitcoin Audible all about this, reading the article in question. Then another article that came up was Roy Scheinfeld's uh, A Fork in the Road about lightning. I can't remember exactly. The name's a little bit different, but um, uh, I will have that in the show notes as well. I'm going to go find that episode. 
and then also Inflection and Pi, which was connected to Reed Hoffman and, you know, received an enormous amount of investment. I just actually played around with it for the first time after finishing this conversation with him, and it's really interesting. So uh, it's definitely one to explore, especially if they were kind of thinking about that UI as kind of an example to maybe follow. So uh, also another great one to check out, and I'll keep you updated on my projects as we move forward. A huge last thank you to first to Chris for coming on the show and sharing GPUtopia, and then also again to our amazing sponsors, to Cold Card, the hardware wallet that will keep your Bitcoin safe. Please keep your Bitcoin safe. And then to Fold and the Fold debit card and the Fold app to get sets back on everything in your life. These guys not only make this show possible, but also they're like like enormous. I've been using these projects or these products or whatever long before they were sponsoring. Like I, I reached out to them. Um, they're kind of at the center of a lot of the things I do in Bitcoin and the way I save for the long haul. So um, highly, highly recommended uh, and links to those guys in the show notes as well. So I will catch you on the next episode of AI Unchained. Glad to be back in action. Glad to have my setup coming back together. So stay tuned and I'll catch you on the next one.